Trade-offs are real in both our personal and our professional lives, and until we accept that reality, we'll be doomed to be just like Continental, stuck in a straddled strategy that forces us to make sacrifices on the margins by default that we might not have made by design. In an insightful op-ed for the New York Times, Erin Callan, the former CFO of Lehman Brothers, shared what she had sacrificed in making trade-offs by default. She wrote, I didn't start out with the goal of devoting all of myself to my job. It crept in over time. Each year that went by, slight modifications became the new normal. First, I spent a half hour on Sunday organizing my email, to-do list, and calendar to make Monday morning easier. Then I was working a few hours on Sunday, then all day. My boundaries slipped away until work was all that was left. Her story demonstrates a critical truth. We can either make the hard choices for ourselves or allow others, whether our colleagues, our boss, or our customers, to decide for us. In my work, I've noticed that senior executives of companies are among the worst at accepting the reality of trade-offs. I recently spent some time with the CEO of a company in Silicon Valley valued at $40 billion. He shared with me the value statement of his organization, which he had just crafted and which he planned to announce to the whole company. But when he shared it, I cringed. We value passion, innovation, execution, and leadership. One of several problems with the list is, who doesn't value these things? Another problem is that this tells employees nothing about what the company values most. It says nothing about what choices employees should be making when these values are at odds. This is similarly true when companies claim that their mission is to serve all stakeholders, clients, employees, shareholders, equally. To say they value equally everyone they interact with leaves management with no clear guidance on what to do when faced with trade-offs between the people they serve. Contrast this with how Johnson & Johnson bounced back from the tragic cyanide murder scandal in 1982. At the time, Johnson & Johnson owned 37% of the market and Tylenol was their most profitable product. Then reports surfaced that seven people had died after taking Tylenol. It was later discovered that these bottles had been tampered with. How should Johnson & Johnson respond? The question was a complicated one. Was their primary responsibility to ensure the safety of their customers by immediately pulling all Tylenol products off drugstore shelves? Was their first priority to do PR damage control to keep shareholders from dumping their stock? Or was it their duty to console and compensate the families of the victims first and foremost? Fortunately for them, they had the credo, a statement written in 1943 by then-chairman Robert Wood Johnson that is literally carved in stone at Johnson & Johnson headquarters. Unlike most corporate mission statements, the credo actually lists the constituents of the company in priority order. Customers are first, shareholders are last. As a result, Johnson & Johnson swiftly decided to recall all Tylenol, even though it would have a massive impact, to the tune of $100 million, according to some reports, on their bottom line. The safety of customers or $100 million? Not an easy decision, but the credo enabled a clearer sense of what was most essential. It enabled the tough trade-off to be made. We can try to avoid the reality of trade-offs, but we can't escape them. 
I once worked with an executive team that needed help with their prioritization. They were struggling to identify the top five projects they wanted their IT department to complete over the next fiscal year. And one of the managers was having a particularly hard time with it. She insisted on naming 18 top priority projects. I insisted that she choose five. She took her list back to her team, and two weeks later they returned with a list she had managed to shorten by one single project. I always wondered what it was about that one loan project that didn't make the cut. By refusing to make trade-offs, she ended up spreading five projects worth of time and effort across 17 projects. Unsurprisingly, she did not get the results she wanted. Her logic had been, we can do it all. Obviously not. It is easy to see why it's so tempting to deny the reality of trade-offs. After all, by definition, a trade-off involves two things we want. Do you want more pay or more vacation time? Do you want to finish this next email or be on time to your meeting? Do you want it done faster or better? Obviously, when faced with the choice between two things we want, the preferred answer is yes to both. But as much as we'd like to, we simply cannot have it all. A non-essentialist approaches every trade-off by asking, how can I do both? Essentialists ask the tougher but ultimately more liberating question, which problem do I want? An essentialist makes trade-offs deliberately. She acts for herself rather than waiting to be acted upon. As economist Thomas Sowell wrote, there are no solutions, there are only trade-offs. 